Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm thrilled to speak with another podcaster. It's always easy to talk with another podcaster. This time, it is Scott Miller. He hosts Franklin Covey's On Leadership with Scott Miller, a weekly leadership podcast. He is also currently Franklin Covey's Senior Advisor on Thought Leadership, leading the strategy, development, and publication of the firm's best-selling books on leadership. Before that, he was a 25-year Franklin Covey Associate, serving as the Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President. In this conversation with Scott, we're taking lessons from Master Mentors Volume 2, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, and this is a curation and cumulation of the knowledge and wisdom and experience that comes from that podcast that Scott hosts. So in this conversation with Scott, we're talking about things that he learned and pulled from interviews with Michael Hyatt, Marie Forleo, Tiffany Alice, Guy Kawasaki. So if any of those names are familiar to you, and they should be because Michael Hyatt has been on the show before, then you know you're going to get a lot out of that. We're going to talk about building a productivity system, we're going to talk about how everything is figure outable, that there's no such thing as overnight success, and that, in fact, you can be motivated by other people's success, and that changing your mind is a sign of confidence and intelligence. And by the way, this is volume two in a series of books, more to come soon, and one that's already preceded it. So there's a lot of learning and perspective here that Scott is bringing to the show. So I'm just going to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Scott Miller. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Scott Miller. Scott, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Eric, thank you. What an honor. Thanks for the platform and the spotlight today. Nice talking with you. Yeah, well, hey, anything I can do to share knowledge, right? Because that's really what we're doing. I mean, you're a fellow podcaster. You've been doing that for a long time, too. And in fact, that's what we're here to talk about a little bit is is shared knowledge. You've You've accumulated, you've curated even knowledge and experience and lessons learned on your podcast. Tell us a little bit about your show. 
Well, so not dissimilar to yours. I like to have intimate conversations with interesting people. Not quite sure how I landed on yours. I don't meet that criteria. But yes, <laughs> you know, hopefully if I can impress. You know, it's interesting. I was the chief marketing officer for decade for the Franklin Covey Company, the world's largest leadership development firm, founded, of course, by Stephen Covey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People fame. And one day I was sitting in the CEO's office and he was brainstorming, you know, Scott, I think we, we need a leadership channel. Now, mind you, this is a global public company, offices in 50 countries, and he's thinking we need a leadership channel. Now, I speak CEO, like I had a PhD in what this man meant after working for him for two decades, but I had no idea what he meant about wanting a leadership channel. Like, you mean like Sirius FM or like CNN or like NPR? Like, like, what do you mean? And he didn't really know. So being the innovative CMO, meaning empowered, I went out and hosted this podcast. Had no idea what I was doing. I called up our publishing agent, said, holy crap, I'm going to launch a podcast tomorrow. We need a guest. Who do you got? And so like all great success stories, we worked our butts off, Eric, right? You know, 300 episodes every week, all through the pandemic, never missed an episode, week in, week out, cadence, people came to expect. And every Tuesday morning, there would be a new podcast out from Franklin Covey and Scott would be the host. Sometimes it would be Deepak Chopra or Ariana Huffington. Sometimes it would be a football player or a celebrity or a researcher or Jim Collins, you name it. And it's audio and video. And here we are now, the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. It's about 6 million each Tuesday. We are uh, both an email newslettered podcast, meaning you can get it via email. You can get it on any of your podcast platforms. And I think just through cadence, sticking with it, all the vitriol, all the compliments, all the hate mail, all the suggestions, the weekly kicking of my you-know-what on whatever social platform the haters were on, what they underestimated was my perseverance and my ego. And here we are, you know, five years later with millions of weekly listens and views. And I'm honored like you to be able to sit in a chair each week and ask hopefully thoughtful questions of people who have insights on something I can improve upon. And you can relate to that same journey. I definitely can. I mean, that's why I've been going for so long. And, and, and honestly, why I got into it, I thought, you know what? I just want to have interesting conversations with people and frankly, learn from them. And hey, if other people listen in and learn along the way, great. But even if I couldn't, you know, share it out, I'd still do it for my own benefit, right? Why not? So what's great is, is that then you've got this ongoing, like you said, that cadence, that ongoing, just continual process and production happening. But that's an audio and video medium. And now it's in book form. In fact, two book form actually is probably the best way to put it because it's volume two. You've come out with Master Mentors, 30 transformative insights. Although there's more than 30 insights, it's really more 30 people with multiple insights per <laughs> per person, but 30 transformative insights from our greatest minds. And now back again, like it went from audio as your recordings with them into book form and now hopefully back into audio form as we talk about some of those learnings. It's true. Thanks for recognizing. So when I launched this podcast, when I quickly learned, which I'm sure you and other podcast hosts do, learn is that some of the good stuff is left on the cutting room floor. It seems like the guests always say the most genius things after we hang up and we're debriefing or after whenever it is. And so with the permission of 30 guests each year, HarperCollins has published a series of books. There'll be 10 volumes across the 10 volume series, one every year. 
volume one, volume two. I'm writing volume three right now, where each year I identify 30 people that I thought shared something transformative on the podcast. I try to keep it one big idea, but you're right. It's 30 people. And the books are very easy, breezy, kind of like chicken soup for the podcast soul, right? So I pick these 30 people and have great conversations. And the books are in print, audio, digital, and video now. And so I'd love to share some of the insights from any of that guests. The only criteria of being featured in the book was you had to be a guest on the podcast. And your attorney, your publicist, your agent, and everybody else around you had to give me permission to write about you. So before anybody has the genius idea of writing a book about 30 celebrities in your podcast, don't. Go like open a lawn mowing business. It'll be easier because trying to get the legal permissions from 30 celebrities is not easy. But it's been great. It's done well. And I'm happy to be able to shine my spotlight on these people. Yeah. And we are glad to have had that spotlight shown. And in fact, I want to start with talking about some of the lessons from somebody that's not only been on your show, but been on my show multiple times, Michael Hyatt. Yeah. One, I love Michael. Recently, he was on the show with his daughter talking about their latest book. He was sharing some things that I didn't necessarily ever get out of him on my show, talking about basically everybody's got a productivity system, whether they know it or not. It's cobbled together. You try to make it work. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about what he was sharing is it's not about any one productivity system or one way of doing a productivity system. It's about creating a system. You have one, whether you know it or not, and creating a system that works for you. And I'm going to emphasize works for you. I know that's dangerous for us as podcasters. We're used to bringing knowledge and we're bringing tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff to our listeners. But the thing is, is that I think we trust our listeners enough to know that they're going to pick and choose or experiment is maybe a better way to put it with what they've heard to see if it works for them. Beautifully said. I think I've heard in dating, the key is volume, 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 volume at dating. If you're looking for a partner or spouse. And I think that's the same principle in your productivity system is you got to try different stuff, right? I mean, if you're working for a, a large organization or even mid-sized company, they're going to have some kind of scheduling and email, you know, software program and with Outlook or whatever it is, increasingly Outlook on the world. But having spent 27 years in the world's most trusted leadership and productivity company, Franklin Covey, I've learned a couple of things, including we sold tens of millions of planning tools to Franklin Planner. We're out of that business now, but still have a lot of expertise on productivity systems. And I think it's important, like you just said, like like Michael says, is just find a system that works well for you. It may be you're using a yellow pad. I happen to use Michael's planner. I like it a lot. Of all the ones that I've found, I like his the best non-dated pages, a place for my notes. I tend to keep my appointments in Outlook and in my phone. I tend to keep my task list printed out I like to cross it out. I know I'm a dinosaur. I like to write it down and cross it out. I like to keep my notes written out. I don't keep my notes in a digital device or in digital format. I like to write my notes to have them accessible. I'm not very good at organizing digital information. I never filed an email in my life. I don't need folders. I'm just not that kind of guy. So my advice to people as you're thinking about your productivity system, I would ask yourself, what works for your personality? What works for your attention span? What works for how mobile you are or you're not? Are you like a hand kind of person, like writing stuff out? Do you like it to be more digital? Is it more visual? Do you care? Do you, how accessible do you want it or need it? 
Are you going to carry your planner with you to the gym? Some do. To church? Some do. To restaurants? I do. So I think it's okay to date around. It took me like eight or 10 planners to land on Michael's planner. And by also, I also forgive myself. I don't use it every day. I don't like chuck it. I like recommit. So I think it's important to follow a couple of Michael's principles, which are understand who you really are, not necessarily who you want to be. Like, what's the likelihood that you'll stick with something? Try it. If it doesn't work, it is okay. Break up and move on and try something different. But you want to you want to build a tool and a system that integrates with your lifestyle and kind of what your natural proclivities are. I tend to be a very busy person, meaning I'm a father of three young boys. I'm married. I'm a podcaster. I'm a radio host. I'm an author. I'm a talent agent. I'm a moderator. I keynote speaker. I have a lot of roles in life. And so I have to be really thoughtful that my planning system integrates well with, you know, four emails. I have four email accounts. I have six social media platforms. And so when it comes to my planning system, I like the non-digital. I want it to be mobile with me in print, take a break from my phone and take my notes and my, so you get the point. Kind of don't care what anybody else is doing. Just do what works for you. And by the way, that's just good life advice in general, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that it's kind of, you know, there's this idea that you have to either go analog or go digital, that you can't do a hybrid system. I, I say, forget that. I try to lean in on analog or digital, lean into the pros of each of them and cover the cons with the other, you know, so digital having it be syncable, you know, that's more for my calendar and other people having access to it as needed or as allowed. And then as far as analog goes, I find I'm much more creative if I can get away from screens like you were talking about and use like a legal pad or a mini legal pad that's on me that I can just flip open and it's like draw my, I hate my handwriting. I always have, but that doesn't mean that it's not fun to just, and it's more creative to just write stuff down. And like you said, cross it off literally with a actual tangible motion. Beautifully said at the age of 55, which I am now about two months away, I've learned to care less about what's in vogue or should I be turning emails into tasks or emails into appointments? And I understand the power of all those tools, but you know, I'm a dad first and foremost. So this morning, right, I'm in the car driving my youngest son at seven o'clock to his math tutoring. He's in seventh grade while I'm on a conference call with a client and I'm in the car parked, taking notes into my planner about this keynote I'm going to do. And then I'm back in my office, now taking my second kid, my other two sons, I have three sons, to their appointments. Afternoon, I'll be in the car going to tennis and going to basketball lessons. I don't want everything in my phone or my laptop. I have to be really thoughtful about what is my lifestyle. And I don't care if you think it's old school. I do what works for me, what also works for my company, right? So I'm a consultant with Franklin Covey still, a contractor. They use Outlook. They use, you know, certain kinds of platforms. So I have to know and make sure I work the way they need me to work as an advisor to them. But I'm probably 50% digital. And to quote you, probably 50% analog, I would call it, you know, paper and pen. Works well for me still. And I don't see myself going away from a balance of those two devices anytime in the future. One of the other things that Michael states in his conversation with you and is in the book is that there are four components of a productivity system. Calendaring, tasks, appointments, 
and notes. And I'm curious, a lot of people, they say, well, wait a second, you already mentioned calendaring, and then you talk about appointments further down. What's the difference between those two? First, I want to pay you a compliment. Some guests would not have pitched me the four. They would have said, just opine on them. I could not have remembered those four. This was three books ago. So thank you for being a gracious host. Everybody's lifestyle is different, right? I mean, I tend to keep, like I said, my calendar in Outlook and I print it off each day. Now, yes, I have it on my phone with me and I check it eight times a day because there's links embedded. But I also like to see my calendar. I like to minimize my screen time as much as I can. I do not fill my appointments out in my printed planner. I keep my appointments all because obviously I have five people that are in my calendar, right? Making changes, putting links in, all that kind of stuff. So my calendar is always digital. My appointments, if you will. My notes are always in paper. So, you know, on average, I give four to five keynotes a week, live or in person or virtual. So I'm taking note on a piece of paper. So when a client's telling me about the audience, the goals, what the conference is like, what time of day, I have all those in notes and I keep them on my planner with me. Tasks, I have a task list. It just so happens that I carry a little satellite card, almost like a two by four inch card. And every morning, I, so I'm an early riser. I get up at four o'clock every morning. I go to bed around 9.30. So sleep is very important to me. I have to have at least seven and a half hours of sleep every night. I'm a proud sleeper. But I, I don't put my tasks in my planner. I put my tasks on my two by four inch card. And I carry that card with me everywhere. On the tennis court, the gym, in the grocery store. And I'm constantly reassessing and adding new tasks. And when I'm done, I cross them off and then carry them forward on a new card. I don't want to carry a planner with me everywhere I go. So I actually have my notes in my planner, my appointments in my phone or my laptop, my tasks on a little satellite card that I keep either in my wallet. My wallet is the same size as this card. So it fits kind of nicely in there. I always have a pin on me. I don't accept any appointments or calendars items that aren't in Outlook. It's where I, I live. I live in Outlook in terms of my calendar. Now, everybody can have their own version of that, but most of my clients are also sending me Outlook links and things like that. Now, what I typically do is have my team, I'm privileged to have a team around me that they manage my schedule. I don't add or accept or decline any appointments. I have someone do that for me. I'm in a privileged position there, I know. But they make sure all the notes are attached in Outlook. I know if I'm on a call with Alex and it's a podcast, you know, like an hour ago, right? I carved out 10 minutes on my schedule. My team carved it out. And that was the time for me to go in and make sure I was comfortable with the link that you sent. It was a different link for this podcast. That I knew how to work the camera and the audio. And I looked at which of the three or four or five mentors you wanted to feature. That I revisited them. And that I was very comfortable. And all those notes would be in that calendaring appointment for me. But let me tell you and tell your listeners You do what's best for you. You know you the best. The most important relationship you have in life is with yourself. Don't try to be someone else. You see somebody else with a different phone or a different system or notes. You can try things. But at the end of the day, Alex, I don't care what you think about my system. I need to build a system around my weaknesses and my strengths, my personalities and my many roles in life, how mobile I am. Some people don't leave their house every day. I leave like five times a day. I like to get out and go to lunch and get a Slurpee or have a bagel or go to school or go to tennis. And so I've built a system around my many roles and my strengths and weaknesses that's unique to me. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. 
Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, speaking of that relationship with yourself, I think one of the things that I kind of see as a difference in language between the words calendar or calendaring and appointments is calendar is kind of the structure of the time and where that time is allotted for in each of those days and weeks, et cetera. Appointment is kind of a focus time where yeah. you're meeting with somebody or meeting with yourself is a blocked out time where you're meeting with yourself to be creative, do admin tasks that are only applicable to you, those kinds of things, or they could be meetings. But ultimately, I say lean into having more of those time blocks for yourself. You're exactly right. Nice clarification. Like I notice every day on my schedule, my team puts in a block for lunch, an hour. I I don't miss lunch. I'm like a three kind of square meals a day kind of guy. I like to either make myself a sandwich or go to a restaurant or a subway, whatever it was, and have lunch, decompress, read something, and get back in the game. And to your point, that's that's calendaring, right? They're putting in sacred time. They're putting in time for me to walk from one studio to another. My calendar tends to be absurdly regimented, but the team puts in time for me to read. They put time for me to eat. In some cases, they put time for me to use the restroom if I back to back on four or five interviews, so put 15 minutes of rest time. And we know rest means restroom for Scott. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It doesn't take me 15 minutes usually, but you get the point, right? Washing the hands and yeah. tucking the microphone back in and changing the shirt or. And travel time to and from and, yeah. you know, standing, <laughs> stretching, et cetera. It's yeah. all in there. Yeah. As far as like do's and don'ts for our personal productivity systems, anything come to mind that just pops out as like, hey, I know you got to make it work for you. But as you're going through that process, a don't would be don't feel like you've got to do it a way somebody else is doing. That's one of them I've heard you say so far. Anything else in terms of do's and don'ts? Yeah, maybe I repeat some of them. Do have one. Do embrace the fact that it might be hybrid, like mine, like paper planner with a binder, a satellite card for my tasks, and all this stuff digitally in Outlook. Do have one. Do be courageous enough to change it up. Go to Target. Go to Office Depot. Go online. I mean, maybe you're more visual. Maybe you want one that looks a little more elegant. Maybe you want one that you can doodle in or it has funny cartoons, like a New Yorker version to you know, give you some frivolity during the day. Do change it up. Do be gentle on yourself. If you miss it for two or three days, don't give up. Get back in. Who cares if Wednesday and Thursday is blank? Get back into Friday. Forgive yourself. Do ask other people, hey, tell me, how do you manage your time? Tell me how you do this or that. You might find something interesting that someone else is doing. I think above all, do become 
super self-aware of how you best operate. Because if you try to force yourself into somebody else's personality or regiment, discipline, you're going to fail at it. Embrace who you are. At 55, I mentioned this because those of you who are 55 or older can relate. I'm really kind of leaning into what my natural strengths are. But I have a ghostwriter that sometimes doesn't leave his house for three or four days at a time. He's an introvert. He His health is a little bit compromised. He does leave the house, but there are days when he hasn't left for three or four days of his house. He's happy. It's a large house in a backyard. And, you know, the pandemic was his biggest gift ever. I will probably leave my house four or five times today. Car in, car out, car in, car out, car in, car out. And so I have leaned into what is my personality. And I don't care if someone has an opinion about that. I just know what gives me strength, what validates me, what I enjoy doing. I know how long my attention span is and isn't. It's longer on some things in life and shorter on others. And I also, every week, I kind of reflect, so what went well this week? I often will say, gosh, I was way overcommitted, right? Or I was having client calls in the car and I really should have been at my desk or I was on a phone call in the car and it was rude to the client because the sit I should have been in my home. I Next week, I need to put in more buffer time and respect. So it's just learning, forgiving yourself, being gentle, trying new things. I change stuff up. I'm Catholic. So I have a guilty conscience when I wake up every morning. So I have, I have one of those personalities that kind of needs to stick with things and see them out. Malarkey. Change things up. Get to know yourself and leverage what are your natural strengths and weaknesses in your system. You got to have some articulated view about what your system is. If someone asks you, you should be able to do what I did, right? I've got a printed bound planner, satellite note card, and all of my appointments, calendaring, scheduling is an outlook via my laptop or my phone. That is my system for sure. And it's possible. It's doable. In fact, that almost leads me to the second person I want to talk about, which is Marie Forleo. And she talks about everything being figure outable, which is a word now, even if it wasn't before. It's definitely a word now. And I love this idea. I'm definitely a problem solving type person. I gather information. I try to hack the system. I figure out where the boundaries are, all those kinds of things. When you talked with Marie and she talked about everything being figure outable, what does that mean to you? What's the in there with that unusual word we may have never heard of up until now? So I'm a big fan of Marie. Marie is a fairly known business advisor, social media influencer, has a program called Marie TV. She wrote one book, as far as I know, it was a New York Times bestseller called Everything is Figure Outable. Excellent book. If your listeners haven't read it, I encourage you to do so. The reason I liked it so much was because it really built on a concept that one of my heroes, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, uses a mantra in the company. So again, I've worked for the Franklin Covey Company for 27 years. Dr. Covey hired me. He, of course, the author of the book that sold 60 million copies, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the many wise things Dr. Covey said before he passed about 10 years ago was he had this phrase, Eric, where he used to walk around the company and tell people to use your R and your I, your R and your I, use your R and your I. And it was, it stood for use your resourcefulness in your initiative. As a father now, I drive my three sons crazy. They'll come to me and say, hey, dad, where's my tennis bag? I don't know. Use your R and your I. The house isn't that big. There are three floors. There are 12 floors in the house. I'll bet you it's exactly where you left it last. Think about that. You go use your resourcefulness in your initiative. 
And in essence, it's what Maria is saying is, I think the most successful people have few things in common. One of them, I think, is an old-fashioned, indefatigable work ethic. Welcome chat GPT. It's not going to do everything for you. But in addition to having a great work ethic, which is one thing I have, I won't outsmart you, but I will outwork you. Now, that may not work with chat. We'll see what happens there. But the other is I am super resourceful and ingenuitive. I am what's known as a problem solver. I think in life, there's two kinds of people. What a gross exaggeration I know, but go with it. Problem identifiers and problem solvers. I can tell the difference in a moment talking to someone that there is a genre of people that like to point out what's wrong. This system is failing. That process is broken. This isn't working. I I know I've worked here. I know. I know all the problems, all the sins. I know. I know. I know. What I'm paying you is not just to identify the problems, but to find workarounds, to find solutions, to use your resourcefulness, your initiative, to have a mindset of everything is figureoutable. Like my accountant might seem, my bookkeeper, well, I can't pay them until they send me the invoice. Then send them an email and ask them for the invoice. Why are you telling me? Of course. Like, I know. So are you just going to wait for five years for them to send the invoice? No. It's my reputation. I need to pay them. You get the point is I'm constantly on the hunt for aligning myself with people that have it everything is figureoutable mentality. Could I do this? Can I call that person? Can I leverage this? I've been an executive officer in a public company for decades. I'll say to someone on my team, hey, so have you solved X, Y, Z? No, I'm waiting to hear back from them. I'm thinking, what? You're waiting to hear back from them? I've never waited to hear back from someone in my entire life. How long have you been waiting? Well, I left them a voicemail three days ago. What? I could die in the next three days. Wait, did you email them? No. Did you text them? No. Did you drive to their house? No. Did you call their spouse? No. Do all those things. I don't have three days. I've never waited ever in my life for, quote, someone to call me back. Now, Eric, that's both literal and metaphorical, but I think it's a huge competitive advantage for people that have a mindset of figuring out how to figure stuff out. Now, can you figure out how to solve stage four pancreatic cancer? Probably not. Can you figure out how to prolong your life with a geoblastoma that has a kind of guaranteed three-year, probably three-month? No. And in some ways, I appreciate some pushback on Marie's. She's not saying that. I mean, maybe what's figureoutable is how you maximize the four months of a gift your physician has given you to say, you have four months to live versus getting hit by a car the next five minutes walking on the street. You have no months to live. Everything in life is about perspective. Is everything figureoutable? Probably when you look at it from the perspective of, I'm not going to cure my colon cancer at stage four and the doctors say, go enjoy your next four months. I don't mean to minimize that, but I can choose how to figure out how to maximize my next four months on how I'm going to get all my affairs in order, have lunch with my boys every single day. I'm a spiritual person, so connect with my creator, make sure all my affairs, I'm being a little bit dramatic here, but I think there's great value in asking yourself, are you a problem identifier or are you a problem solver? I couldn't help but as going through that section of the book and hearing what she had to say and in that dialogue, there was almost this other piece to it. Like she's talking about basically never stop being a problem solver. You don't have to just identify things. You've got to solve them. 
And thing is, is if she was giving examples, I kind of thought, well, there's one other aspect to this that pops up in my head, and it's the aspect of sunk cost fallacy. People that aren't familiar with that, it's when we basically say, well, I've already put in so much time on this problem or on this scenario, on this situation, that it's not okay for me to say stop, to quit in the right way. And a lot of people will say, you know, well, everything being figure outable is now an excuse for me not to quit. You know, sometimes a deterrent to quit when it's the right time is a bad thing. We'll talk about that later because I know one of the things that Guy Kawasaki does is talk about quitting and the appropriate time of quitting. And I I basically want to say there's a balance here. There's a give and a take. And actually part of the figure outableness, yet another word that doesn't exist till now, is knowing, oh, wait. We've figured it out. This process, this business, this product, this initiative, like, I mean, paper planners, for example, that frankly Covey doesn't do anymore. It was figure outable that that was no longer the thing to do anymore in that instance. And it was right. And it wasn't quitting. Well, it was quitting, but it was the right kind of quitting, if that makes sense. Eric, I honestly, I'm not being a sycophant. I think your insights there are profound. There is an art to knowing when to begin and when to finish. And I don't think finishing always means finishing in the traditional sense. Sometimes a disappointment turns into an appointment, an appointment for something else. And I really try to live my life in alignment with that is I don't think I'm a quitter. I think I have a extraordinary history of perseverance and seeing things through. And friendships come to an end. Marriages come to an end. Jobs and careers come to an end. I think the most agile, mentally nimble people that can like put a pen in something and say, you know what? It's done. It's over. And now it's time for something new. There's this kind of new genre of interviews going on on Instagram around people's need for closure. And I hear a lot of psychiatrists and authors saying, oh, no, you have closure. They haven't called you for three weeks. They gave you closure. Move on. It's closed. It's over. You don't need closure. You're not seeing it. And I kind of like the fact that sometimes things are over. We just haven't acknowledged it yet. And there's great liberation. I mean, you have one precious life here on earth, far as I'm aware. Some of you might believe you have other ones, but the ability to pivot and know when to quit something, know when to double down and really figure it out. I'm okay giving up. Like I'm not a technical person. If something is kicking my ass, I'll hire someone to solve it. Or throw it in the garbage can. I've been known to throw an Ikea bookcase in the dumpster because this sucker is kicking my ass and I'm not enjoying it anymore. You know what? It was 80 bucks. It's going in the dumpster. I'm going to do something else. Not recently. I moved past Ikea in my life. But you get the point. I love your insight around sometimes quitting is winning. Love it. And I love that you use the word finish too because it's kind of like, no, this project is now finished. The word quit often has this negative connotation, which we really need to shed it of. But I think, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about and they're a a counselor and they said, yeah, when I say the words therapy, people kind of cringe. But if I say counseling, then people kind of open up and feel more able to open up. And, And so language makes a difference. By the way, I'm finished with this means you're done. You didn't describe whether that was a win or a loss. You didn't describe how much learning there was in it. I love this term, finishing. Yeah, I love it. So another person that you talk with and is documented in the book is Tiffany Aliche. 
So she talks about how, and I thought this kind of comes into dovetail into the conversation we've already had so far, that there's no such thing as overnight success. And that kind of is a mentality that goes right along with everything is figure outable. You take your time, you plan your steps, you take your steps. You don't take leaps and well, you do sometimes take leaps and bounds, but moreover, it's about small steps consistently. I love that you're highlighting Tiffany Alice because this was an insight I teased out from studying her. It's not something she talks about. So Tiffany Alice is a well-known financial advisor, right? Personal finance, like Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman or Gene Chatsky, someone like that. African-American woman caters mainly to urban black minority readers and followers, but not exclusively, right? I mean, your credit score is your credit score, but she helps, especially passionate about helping minority members of our community build their financial acumen. She wrote a very famous book called Get Good With Money. Very practical advice. Quite frankly, most of it was just good, solid advice. She was a teacher. She kind of went bankrupt and she learned a lot of lessons. She's known as the Budget Nista. She has a big podcast and a newsletter. And the more I got to study her, I started to wonder, this woman like burst on the scene. I never heard her before. I mean, like you, I interview celebrities all week long, all the time. And I'd never heard of this person before. I saw her book on the New York Times bestseller list, saw it at Barnes & Noble, bought it. And I thought the book was good, but it wasn't like, you know, profound. I mean, again, you know, most financial advice is kind of there, right? Pay your bills, save, contribute, save for a rainy day. Don't live beyond your, you know, get the point, right? I mean, there's not a lot of deep wisdom brought to the personal finance space. No offense to those experts or Tiffany. The book is excellent. Buy it. I read it. I enjoyed it. But what I realized is that Tiffany was living this principle of there's no such thing as overnight success. There is overnight fame, and it's usually ill-gotten or fleeting, but there's no such thing as overnight fame. If you look at Matthew McConaughey, Venus Williams, Jennifer Lopez, Jamie Dimon from you know Chase Bank, me, any author out there, what you come to realize is the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of auditions they went on and didn't get the TV part. Matthew McConaughey, who I know quite well, I've interviewed him on several occasions, He went from being an obscure, unknown guy to being world famous in one hour. One hour. When A Time to Kill released, he went from no one knowing who he was to walking out, I think it was on Santa Monica Boulevard, and not being able to walk alone in one hour. You look at these big best-selling authors, it's often their fourth, fifth, or sixth book that you came to know them about. No one bought No one read their first, second, third, fourth, fifth book. And so the principle I'm trying to teach with Tiffany is I'm not trying to encourage you to unnecessarily belabor. Find out ways to take legitimate shortcuts. There's no prize for doing stuff the hard way. But I also want to remind all of your listeners what these people have in common is they all had an unbelievably long road to get to where they are. Not 10,000 hours, as we hear often is the added. No, no, no. Hundreds of thousands of hours, right? 400 LinkedIn posts, 300 columns in this magazine, thousands of Instagram videos or TikTok videos. Now, of course, there are the outliers, but I love the fact, especially I think with our younger generation that are much more educated and agile and nimble than we are. Lots of compliments. 
I do think there is a lesson to be learned here of how do you balance taking appropriate shortcuts to make things easier, right? I mentioned chat GPT several times. I don't use it. I'm sure someday I will with recognizing that what these successful people have in common is reps, reps, hours put in, perfecting their craft, making mistakes, writing books that no one bought, writing columns that flopped, taping YouTube videos that didn't go and learning and learning and learning. And you ask every best-selling author, every television star, every movie star what their path was, and you'll be stunned at how they work to get to where they are. It's a consistent principle in every influencer's life. So speaking of one more person I want to bring up who is definitely not an overnight success, but has been around forever, Guy Kawasaki, who I listen to his show. My longtime friend is actually the producer of his show. So oh. and I've met him in person a few different times. He is one of the ones who has multiple. He goes all over the place in his section of the book where he's just he's a jack of many trades. And so I loved that he talked about being motivated by others success. And I see that tying in here in this thread of conversation pick back up is it takes being able to be motivated by others success if you're not seeing it yet yourself and not looking at the others that are out there and doing the comparison trap of, you know, comparing their highlight reel to your blooper reel and getting demotivated, but instead being motivated. I am a a huge advocate for anything guy says or writes. He wrote a bunch of books, including one called The Wise Guy, a play on his name. And it really is just a collection of episodic stories about things he learned in life. And honestly, to this day, it's a top three favorite read. If your audience is looking for a phenomenal read, pick up a copy of Guy Kawasaki's book, The Wise Guy. In fact, it was so profound, I couldn't think of one transformational insight. I think I listed like 15 or 20 in his chapter. The one you're talking about is one I'd forgotten. So you've given me a gift by interviewing me today. I think it's okay to be jealous. I'm a, I'm a quite jealous person. I'm jealous of people's homes and cars and success and finances and happiness and marriage and maturity and you name it. It's okay. I admit it. I admit I'm kind of jealous of your success. And like Guy says, I use that, but I, mean, I don't think jealous is a bad word. I think it's number nine of the commandments if you're a Christian, right? I think it's number nine. But <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm okay being jealous because like Guy says, use it for motivation. That guy's got a convertible Jaguar. I want a convertible Jaguar. How do I get one of those? What did he do or she do that I need to do? And I'll ask them, like, I'm so bold. I have a nice car. I'll walk up to people and say, how did you get that? How did you accomplish that? How did you achieve that? How did you bounce back from that? How did you recover from that? I'm a pretty bold person. I've actually never met someone who wouldn't answer my question because my intent is to learn from them. Guy's insight was really about using that jealousy or envy, whatever word you want to use, not to disparage the other person or to demotivate you, but to motivate you. I think it was a car. I think the story he told was about a car that someone had. He wanted to figure out how to get one of those in his more shallow days. That's okay. I love driving a nice car and I'm okay with that. There's a difference between the words envy and jealousy. And I think, you know, I'm on dicey ground here, probably theology wise, but I think that envy is when you literally want the thing they have and you want to take it from them so they don't have it anymore. And that is not what you're talking about. Which occasion I've been guilty of for the record because I'm a human, but keep going. But we confess that and we move on and we get forgiveness for it. But jealousy, jealousy is definitely different. 
I love your insight on this. And there's no, I don't know there's a black or white. Everybody can assimilate with themselves. But I'm known for frequently walking up to people and say, I'm so jealous of your vacation. I'm so delighted for you. You deserve this. Post it all over social because I want to live vicariously with you. I think jealousy is okay. I tell people, I'm jealous of your success. I'm jealous that you made it to CEO. But I make sure they know that it's given in a way that's flattering and abundant and say, I can be jealous of you and be delighted for you. And I have learned how to live with those two things coexisting in my life. Well, that ties into something else Guy says, which is that once you believe you're a victim, you become a victim. And what you're saying is you're not looking at something somebody else has done or said or been or has and then saying, oh, I've been wronged because they are that or have that and I'm not that. Instead, it's flipping that perspective switch in your brain and saying, oh, I didn't even realize that was an option. How do I do that now? You have motivated me. I'm going to take Guy's book, The Wise Guy, off my shelf out there and reread it this weekend because that's how good this book is. Yes. So, man, here's the thing. We've talked a little about four entries into the book of 30 people, and this is the second book. There's a first one out there and eight more to come, which is amazing, and I'm so glad to hear that. I'd love for people that as the process of creating these books is happening, they can tag along with you in your journey. So where can people connect with you, listen to your show? I'll link all up to it, to all the links that you call out or things that you say in the show notes. Eric, that's very gracious of you. Thank you for asking. So the podcast is called On Leadership with Scott Miller. You can access it on any podcast platform, audio and video. And you can follow me on every social platform, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can visit scottjeffreymiller.com. Volume three of Master Mentors will be out in 2024. I have several books coming out. You can visit my website, scottjeffreymiller.com. If for any reason you need more of this, which I doubt you do, a meaning of me, you can find me anywhere. My wife says I'm too easy to find, but she means that not as a compliment. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'll make it really easy for everybody to find you as well by linking up to all of these things in the show notes. Scott, it's been awesome talking with you, and I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk, seeing as you've got multiple entries coming, and we can jump in on other topics in the future. So I look forward to that. Definitely going to have you back on the show. Eric, thank you for your abundance mentality. And again, I appreciate you giving me the platform to talk about Master Mentors today. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Scott Miller as much as I did. There is so much more in the book than just the four people that I picked out to talk with Scott about in this conversation. In fact, there's more from those people themselves that we didn't even get into. So I highly encourage you not only to grab volume two, but go back and grab volume one. And you heard him. There's many more volumes coming. Not only that, but you can go check out Franklin Covey's On Leadership with Scott Miller podcast linked in the show notes as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would love for you to do me a favor and share it with somebody that you know. Think of that person. Hit share in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this or over at the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. You'll also find a tab there that says contact. Use that button to send me a message and let me know of a topic you want me to cover on this podcast or somebody that you know would make a great guest to have a conversation about productivity. Thank you so much for sharing Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.